Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again for another segment of the Rowdy Buddhist Podcast. I hope that this has been useful and supportive in your study and practice. I try to relate everyday understanding that hopefully wherever you are at in your practice and study will be able to benefit you. Today I wanted to talk about the stages of life. It's important to understand the stages of life because, you know, as we all probably are experiencing in our life, it seems like a very linear uh, kind of timeline. But actually there are many subtleties to our life and also the stages that are, of course, both in our environment as well as our nature, uh, our animal nature, our spiritual nature, all of those natures contain elements that influence our life. And one of the points of practicing Buddhism, as we see in the Ten Suchnesses, is to be able to see how everything is interdependent. When we study and learn about the interdependence of all of these causes and effects and conditions in our life, we're able to be able, be able to change or understand and be and and basically bring back into the idea of equilibrium our original nature because there is two things that we look at simply to break down buddhism those that allow us to be whole and in a state of equilibrium so that we can practice and study the buddha's teaching walking the path butsudo or those that cause disharmony those that cause confusion uh, they also say those that cover like dust or uh, muck up or mar up uh, our uh, awareness in life. So therefore our perspective becomes that of illusion, which as we know of greed, hatred and ignorance based out of ignorance all become suffering. And so one of the things that I have been very interested in, and, and again, I'm relating this from my own study and practice, is that, you know, studying Buddhism since I was young, you feel as if it is just, you know, whenever we start the Buddhism, especially if we're young, when we're interested in things, when we're in a way kind of both ignorant and pure or naive, uh, and of course egotistical, thinking that we understand that which we do not because we don't have enough experience. But nevertheless, we believe um, that that is how life is going to be forever. And, and it's very interesting because, again, there are many stages in life, as we probably have heard the idea of midlife, crisis, etc., where people then realize, okay, something is changing, or they may not realize something is changing. And that, again, causes conflict because, wait a second, before I had lots and lots of energy, or that I was very interested in this specific thing, or that I, this was the purpose or meaning of my life. And then it changes. Because again, um, the amazing aspect of being alive is that everything is constantly in flux and changing. And thank goodness for that. Because some people may look at that and go, well, I don't like change. But actually change is where we find enlightenment, right? Because we, we're able to go beyond our greed, hatred, and uh, greed, hatred, and ignorance to find the enlightened concept, the enlightened mind, the enlightened life. And so I wanted to bring this to people's awareness because you, I don't know what age you are and you could be at any age to listen to this. But that when we are looking <coughs> at our lives, 
we can be aware because awareness is what Buddhism teaches us. It makes us mindfully aware, constantly aware, uh, subtlety of the, the different subtle parts of our life as well that allow us to be able to both participate and be part of in a natural, again, in a state of equilibrium with both our body, mind, and spirit. And that, again, of course, also extends out to the external world. Okay, So, therefore, there are three stages that we know as they're in, I've spoke of before, in Ayurvedic teaching, which means the science of life, studying life, that we see there is uh, Kapha, Pitta, and uh, Vata. Those are the three types of dosha, uh, which means kind of... Uh, uh, where the elements come together to create some kind of substance or some kind of nature. So, so we have all three of them, as I explained before. But then we, based on when we were born, our parents, etc., all of that kind of when those five elements that we learn, and that's why the five elements are essential in Buddhism, when they come together and, and create uh, uh, who we are in that moment of time in which everyone is in itself different and special and original. The How the elements come together is quite different than anybody else. And that in our life, if we can understand through the science of life, through the science of Buddhism, and this again, this was part of, you may ask, well, that's not Buddhism. You have to understand what the culture of the Buddha that grew up, this was part of his life. This was part of the mentality. This was part of the... Uh, natural knowledge that went into his teachings. And as we see in the early uh, schools of Buddhism, such as Nalanda, and that, that existed in India before Hindu Buddhism in India was destroyed, this kind of natural science existed. And again, that was transferred and understood through the different cultures that took Buddhism on after. Like as it went to China, it of course was... Um, they, it was very easily received because they had additional teachings such as Taoism um, uh, and such that allowed them to understand and incorporate their native indigenous teachings into Buddhism and assimilate it. Same with uh, Buddha, with Korea, same with uh, Japan, with Shintoism. And I particularly like this explanation because it allows us to understand why, if you've ever seen the pentagram in Buddhist temples or on Buddhist items, and it's many places, but you don't see it, that is, of course, representing the five elements. So the idea of the three stages in life is that there are three stages in life. And, and why is this important? Because actually, I'm turning 45 this year. And uh, it's been a wonderful experience to be, thank goodness for Buddhism. Thank goodness for Buddhism. I that's just how much I love and appreciate the Buddhist teaching and just every day bow to the Buddha and say thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity because there is a happiness and a, how do you say, a naturalness to be able to see how the teachings line up and support our lives that by practicing Buddhism, we naturally come into equilibrium with these principles. But it's also important for us to learn and study as well. So the first stage that they have is actually 
uh, childhood. Childhood is actually um, seen as kapha. And that's a time of life that is the first stage of life. That lasts usually from birth until puberty. Uh, usually around the first 16 years of your life. And this, this particular time of life is supported by and infused with an increase in the primary qualities of kapha. Kapha's element is made up of the two primary ele elements of water and earth. And again, when we study this, you don't have to get too complicated. Just look at earth. It's solid. It's, it's stable. And water is flowing. Uh, and also the qualities of cold, uh, the qualities of wet, etc., this allows us to understand these principles. And some of the basic qualities of kapha, as we'll see, are considered heavy, slow, cool. And again, those are because of the elements. Also, they're considered oily, smooth, dense like the earth, soft like water, stable, gross and cloudy. And also, then we understand the functions of kapha within our life is structure like the earth, having your feet planted on the earth, cohesion, lubrication, hydration, growth, nourishment. And the nature of kapha allows us, by it being composed mostly of the water and earth elements, and of the three doshas, of the three uh, characteristics, it is most undoubtedly the dense, uh, densest and most solid of the three. Kapha is heavy, slow, cool, oily, smooth, soft, stable. And it lends the body structure cohesiveness, lubrication, hydration, and nourishment while supporting uh, bodily process and growth. So from that is where the growth comes from. That's why the element of kapha, water, and earth is extremely important. And when we think of childhood during those formative years up until puberty, you know, what's the, what's the correlation between kapha and childhood? Well, it's very straightforward. Childhood is simply about growth, okay? Building new tissue, accumulating body mass, and rapidly increasing one's weight as the physical body grows. The body needs a tremendous amount of kapha in order to pull this off. It needs nourishment. As we can see, we see all of the, the issues of childhood uh, considered even emotional issues. Because again, this passes over to the emotion, not just the physical body. But if we don't have the right nutrition, if we don't have the right environment, that can deeply affect us. In other words, the, the really rapid and, and growth and development, uh, the constant generation of new cells and tissues of that's characterized by childhood is a process that is inherently governed by kapha. And I see this because I have, two, uh, I have younger children. So I'm able to see how they grow. And most definitely, this is the time that they're being nourished through these elements. So there is also an elegant intelligence in buffering the body with additional kapha during the stage. So this is an essential idea to be able to nourish it. Children need nourishment. It also regulates our body, uh, which naturally helps us to support and provide fuel for our bodies during this intensely growth-oriented time in our life, okay? And, you know, it's, it's so important that we understand these nature, 
you know, these particular processes, especially even when we're helping and supporting others, because this allows us to be able uh, to support them properly according to the nature as such. So children that are incredibly attuned to the natural correspondence between childhood and the building, nourishing and nature of Kapha, they really understand it. That's why they climb trees. That's why they love to play. That's why they play imaginary games. They can support. And this is the idea of a healthy child. My daughter can go out and play by herself in nature. No problem. I remember that when I was a child. That was very important in growing uh, one's in interest, one's curiosity, etc. And on a cellular, on a very deeper level, cellular level, children crave sweets because that's why when you're a child you crave sweets, which ground uh, and uh, which are grounding for them. That will also support the energy, the undertaking of growing, of an into an adult body. These qualities can be found in really rich foods in sweet tastes, such as whole grains, legumes, uh, root vegetables, milk, and many other nourishing foods, which kids tend to favor. It's not saying about, you know, sugar. So you might have said, well, Sensei, you were thinking about sugar. No, no, sweet. Sweet of the five tastes in Buddhism, quite different. That's why you should study that as well, to understand what the different uh, tastes in Buddhism are. And it's, you know... It just so happens that now, unlike any other time in our history, uh, in the developed world at least, we have access to an abundant amount of processed foods with, you know, similar, you know, profiles or under, you know, built makeups, and our children go to them, flock to them, and that's why kids tend to love bread, mac and cheese, French fries, and other building, kaffa type foods. Kaffa is a very, you know. Again, this is why if people eat too much and they have a kapha nature, they become sluggish, they become overweight, etc. So even though sugar itself, and it depends what kind of sugar you use, though, you know, rather it's not nutrition, it's nutritionally em empty, it can satisfy the child's physiological craving for some sweet taste, which can quickly become problematic for the child's health. So. You know, even though they have this really strong kapha-like nature that they're attracted to sweets, we have to be able to, of course, nourish that properly, uh, of course, and allow them to see. Uh, like when I was a child, I had uh, I, I have attention deficit disorder. So therefore, uh, one time I took the Nestle Quick Powder, too much of it, of course, as a child, and I became extremely, uh, almost like high because of the sugar. And I had realized that how I process sugar was different than other people, but it was a very useful um, experience because it allowed me to regulate myself when I was a child. And child, some vulnerabilities of childhood are that by being wet, the heavy dosha that is, that extra kapha, or we add more of these elements, uh, as we saw, uh, that if we add extra element of kapha into our systems during childhood, it can also uh, cause some predictable vulnerabilities. Such kapha imbalances that they say are um, such vulnerabilities or imbalances such as congestion with the nose, um, coughs, runny nose, frequent colds, um, and excess mucus. Those are all very important uh, elements to watch for in children.
that they may have an increase of kapha, so therefore we can help them to learn how to balance themselves. Because this self-care is essential to the practice of Buddhism. It's really important to understand, and that's why the Buddha, this was an integral part of Buddhism, which seems to have been lost. But uh, in early Buddhism, this was basic common awareness, common knowledge. And, you know, we have to, we of course can talk to our teacher, we can study and learn uh, what, how we can be able to support the balance during this particular stage stage of life. And although um, we can allow them to see how it affects them, because every child and every person is uh, specifically different, uh, but we're all interdependent. So we can look at the, di the, the diet, for instance, for children, and we can go into that later. There are particular uh, aspects of the diet, lifestyle. Also, we can offer herbs, etc. And that is essential uh, to be able to help them uh, and support them during, uh, so that they are not, uh, how do you say, succumb to the sicknesses that are caused by the um, imbalances that can happen during childhood. And the next one will be the uh, adulthood, which is considered the pita time of life. So it suggests that this is the second stage of life that lasts approximately from puberty, age of 16, until the age up until the age of 50. Now, again, you may see in, uh, in Buddhism, there are considered unlucky years. Those are not the idea of unlucky, like in luck, unlucky. It actually comes from this kind of chart, and it's, it's more than just the usual years that they call um, the unlucky years. We have a Buddhist ceremonies for that, because that is to educate and allow them to understand the subtle differences of each stage of life. So one thing I'd like to insert here is that when I first came to Buddhism, Skomoto Sensei looked at me, and I was a, and as you've probably seen online, the pictures of me as a young monk, and... I was 17, 18 years old, living the lifestyle of an 80-year-old, all right? And, or as an older adult, because my teacher was, at that time, Shangguan Sifu, was very much older. And it was, it was interesting, and it kind of shocked me into understanding the, the importance and understanding of Buddhist practice properly, that I was not living, I was living the Buddhist religion, okay, because you always think that by becoming a monk or by doing this practice or that practice that it's appropriate, because you think it's appropriate, because of course, at that age, adolescence age, I immediately uh, wanted to collect everything, I immediately wanted to do the best teachings and, and show that I could do them and attain what I wanted quickly, and of course, that's the ignorance of youth, and that's usually what caused many youths to become sick or even uh, unfortunately dead uh, because they do this without the wisdom that is necessary. And when I met Skomoto Sensei, he looked at me and he said, that's not Buddhism. And I said, of course it's Buddhism. I'm practicing more Buddhism than you. You know, you have some hair. I don't have any hair. I practice the precepts. I wear the robes. I do this meditation and that meditation. And I live the life. But you live the life of a householder. And he said, no, you don't understand. He said, how old are you? And I said, uh, you know, I think at that time I was 21. He said, no, no, 
You look like an 80-year-old person. Plus your attitude, your character, everything you do. 80 years old. It's very strange and improper. That is not the natural way. So in a way, even in the guise of Buddhism, because I followed my own ego, I became very unnatural. It's very interesting because I, I was seeing this online. Lots of people judging I about the precepts are no good. That is just for snotty priests and stuff like that. Very interesting, this neo-Buddhist concept that people make a Buddhism according to their own wishes. If that's the case, then they should call themselves the Buddha. But they don't uh, follow the Buddha's teaching, actually. So they're just ignorant and arrogant within uh, the guise of Buddhism as a neo-Buddhist. I see it all the time that when people say precepts were made by people, by humans, of course, made by Buddha, who gave to us our Buddhist teacher. And then also, uh, that is to be arrogant, etc. They don't understand what the meaning of precepts are. It's unfortunate in Buddhism, but that's quite common. So in our adult life, as we see, I was able to then go, okay, he said, when you're every moment in life, every stage has something to teach. If you miss that moment, you cannot help or understand or guide others. Each stage of our life is education. Each day of our life is education, growing into our natural state, which is constantly in flux. So as we see this stage of from uh, approximately from puberty or about the age of 16 until the age of 50, involves the, a natural increase of the primary qualities of pitta. Pitta is actually made of two elements, fire and water. So as you can see, the first kapha is made of uh, earth and water. Then Pitta, right above it, is, of course, water, fire. Qualities of pitta are light, sharp, hot, oily, liquid, spreading, and subtle. Also, the functions of pitta in our body are digestion, the fire digestion, agni, absorption, assimilation, nutrition, transformation, body temperature. This, in the Chinese tradition, is considered the idea of uh, guqi, where the energy through our breathing and through our eating and drinking changes into the energy that we need in order to uh, function our body. So that is a natural changing uh, into the energy that is necess necessary to practice and learn. But there are many kinds of energy. And then is the idea of a, a positive energy and a negative energy. And the idea of energy that is made uh, enough energy to preserve your life or not enough energy. So enough or not enough. And the nature of the pitta dosha, or uh, as they say, and dosha is another way of constitution, is composed primarily of fire and water elements. Pitta is less dense and solid than kapha, which is like the earth element, uh, but more so than vata. Vata is the next one. It is light, sharp, hot, oily, liquid, spreading and subtle by nature. And it governs digestion, absorption, assimilation, nutrition, transformation, and body temperature. Now the nature of adulthood. The relationship between the pitta and adulthood may not be quite as obvious to people as, as we can see with the kapha and childhood. But when we look closer, this will become clear to us. This stage of life is about digesting and assimilating our experience of life forming an identity, developing our unique gifts, talents, skills, and it is about achievement. 
All of these endeavors are incredibly pita in nature. That's like the idea of having obsessive almost that uh, go do something, have the energy to go and accomplish or challenge, etc. And all can require a healthy dose of ambition as well as an intense level of focus. That's what most of the time this is shown by. A lot of adults during this stage of life is seen as fiery and goal-oriented and can even be sharply competitive. Interesting, there are some young adults that don't have any kind of uh, ambition. Very interesting. That's a problem because they will develop into... Uh, older people with a lack, to, lack of wisdom because ambition teaches us lots of things. It allows us to naturally, as we see in the world, balance and harmonize because too much ambition, right, can cause disease and sickness. But if one doesn't experience that, one doesn't have the motivation, one is lazy, they'll miss that idea of humbleness, also of equilibrium. So when they miss this stage of life, they won't be able to understand uh, properly how to regulate their life. Some of the vulnerabilities that we find in adulthood, so because it's fiery and hot, sometimes this brings a number of issues for us that are can be easily anticipated if you think about it. So you may be more prone to irritability, hyperacidity, uh, which is of course in your body and digestion. A heartburn, ulcers, etc. Inflammation and overworking, even tendencies towards becoming aka workaholic. For some of the period of life may also be categorized by an incredibly strong will, arrogance, and an unwavering identification with the intellect of the mind. Holding on to this is the way it is, stubbornness. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. Or, a blatant, or even having a blatant disregard for one's physical and emotional needs. They work and work and work and work, trying to get the crown, trying to get the trophy. And in the end, as we see, we end up damaging ourselves. We can damage our emotions. We can damage our mind. We can damage our relationships with others. And some, some of the supporting balance during this particular pitta stage of life is that we, uh, through this proper... Uh, mature maturity or um, growth and awareness of this increased pitta dosha can certainly help us prevent any imbalances and we can resourcing us to prevent uh, to become to make sure we have the adequate adequate calming slow grounding cooling energies and proper nourishment which of course are the counterbalance to the pitta the fire it allows the fire to go down. We need the great fire in our body for digestion. Right? But also, too much fire, energy come up into our minds and we become hotheads. Yeah? Some of the diet that we can see, as we're talking about, is eating the pita-pacifying foods that are cooling, hearty, energizing, and dry. These can help calm the pita by balancing excess internal heat and acidity, preventing inflammation, nourishing and grounding the pita, and absorbing excess liquid or oilness. Also, pita can also, because it has that fire, can actually handle eating more raw foods than if we are in the stages of vata or kapha. Depending, again, this is just the stage of life. 
then we have to look at our natural tendencies, our natural makeup. So we have to look at if you are more kapha, uh, pitta, or vata in your nature. So especially during the spring and summer, which are those times, we have to be very aware. We can favor the sweet, bitter, and astringent tastes and pacifying herbs and spices like cumin, uh, coriander, fennel, mint, and turmeric. Foods also to reduce and avoid include caffeine, alcohol, and especially spicy dishes. So with this, you can talk to your Buddhist teacher, learn more about this. This, this must be the very basis of your Buddhist practice. As people are learning, without your body being balanced, being in harmony, you cannot concentrate properly in your meditation or practice. Now, lots of people, of course, they have a religious, uh, how do you say, uh, fervorism and also um, extremism, where they say, no, no, I don't need any of that. I just need this. But actually, it's, it's, that is to allow you to understand this as well. And unfortunately, many people, uh, to break through that ego is very difficult. Very difficult. That means that in some part of their life, they're immature. So, also during this time, it's very important to learn about uh, uh, yoga and uh, pranayama, which is breathing, to also understand how to pacify this. And of course, eating, meditation, also self-care. Uh, lots of different things we can do, trying different herbs, etc. And then the third and final stage of life is what they call elderhood, and that is vata, the vata time of life. So this third stage of the vata lasts from midlife or age of 50 until death. And this part of our life is considered a vata time because it involves the natural phys uh, physiological increase in, in very lots of qualities that tend to provoke vata, cause trouble with us. So again, if we don't naturally, instinctively, uh, enlightened mind through wisdom live the proper life, we are suffering each of these stages and life just gets a more suffering as it goes on. The nature of Vata Dosha is comprised primarily of two elements. That is air and ether or space, making it the subtlest, sub, subtlest, subtlest uh, of the three doshas by far. Vata is light, cold, dry, rough, mobile, subtle, and clear by nature. And in this nature, it governs the aspects of communication, movement, creativity, flexibility, and expansiveness. Interesting. Why dryness? Actually, because of wind. Wind dries things out. Also, the idea of expansiveness, because Vata, or the void, is big, open, mindedness different stage of life how many people do you know in that age or stage of life perhaps has that expansive mind can that only be found through spirituality mm -hmm. interesting what do we focus on our life now being 45 um, they say that between the age of 40 and 50 is kind of the editing age of life which that before we enter into the vata dosha of stage of life we edit what is extra. We edit that which we maybe at one time thought was wonderful and important. 
we edit it to what really matters in life. So we become naturally more stable. So therefore, if whatever age, if you're younger than that, and you feel unstable or something, it's okay, natural. But we can learn to balance that so that we can both learn from that stage because of our learning to find equilibrium is the education that we learn from all of those particular aspects. So let's look at the nature of elderhood. Elderhood is about mastery, wisdom, maturity, teaching and sharing your gifts with others. During this time, during the time in which humans throughout history have been drawn to spiritual development and to cultivating an expansive connection with the cosmos is this age. At this time, it is when it becomes clear that the body is not as resilient as it once was. How slow it is. As again, you during the pizza time, you tend to build up water, accumulate that water. So sometimes that also means carrying weight, carrying regrets. Very interesting. Skomoto Sensei was saying to me at this time, because we're editing, but sometimes when we're editing, we can look back and regret something, judge something harshly, because again, fiery, fiery, harshly, judgment. No, no. We look, we, we think about benefit of tomorrow. That means we're entering into the natural concept that we will find in the Vata stage of life. All of this, both the natural gifts of this time and life and the challenges correspond beautifully with the strengths and vulnerabilities of Vata Dosha. The most challenging part of this time, the Vata stage of life, is that the reserves of youth begin to dry up in a, de in a decisive way. And the body's capacity to rejuvenate uh, on its own declines sharply. If, in the best case scenario of this time, there is no way, there is, there is in no way problematic because ideally by this point in our lives, we should have learned to move through life with a bit more grace and ease so that our systems don't require the same rejuvenative capacity that they might have when we were young. That means we don't burn the candle at both ends. We don't burn ourselves up. We don't simply uh, sit even in the kapha by being totally immobile. That's why allowing to lubricate the joints, movement, the mind. That means, as they were saying, try something new. Learn something that you're not a professional at. That's where the idea of humbleness comes, to, to rebalance the fire in your mind. Start to become humble. Hopefully by this time, we learn to have a certain level of mastery. We learn to listen to our bodies. And we may be able to see that we can uh, no longer allow poor self-care habits. We have to take care of ourselves. Even those that have strong self-care practices in place may become aware that in order to maintain optimal health and well-being, their bodies simply need more nourishment and rejuvenation during this vata time of life, which is completely natural, and we should honor this. That means don't be afraid. The vulnerabilities that we may find, of course, are in many things. The dry, rough nature of vata that we see through the wind element can cause any number of symptoms in our body, from dry skin to tissue issues to bone muscle deterioration, arthritis, joint pain, increasing 
presence of involuntary tics and tremors. Vata can also make for our digestion to be de more delicate than it was, can cause gas, bloating, and constipation, as well as many sensitivities to food and intolerances. If we have more or excess vata, it's also associated with aging, insomnia, loss of mental acuity, and can decrease absorption such that the body stops re receiving adequate nourishment and begins to experience nutritional depletion. So therefore, at this stage of life, we can balance, uh, we can balance ourselves by becoming completely aware of the reality that can help us make the decisions to better protect against imbalances. It's also time that we learn uh, as many things such as warming, grounding, lubricating, stabilizing, and nourishing things in our life that we bring forth. We also adjust our lifestyle. We also take care of our body. We take care of our mind. We take care of our body's flexibility. That's extremely important. We also understand retreating, being able to practice more deeper. I remember in the Chinese temple, people at this stage of their life would actually, uh, if their children had grown up and, and moved on, this happened to my Sifu, he became a monk and his wife became a nun. People would come that were alone to practice and study at the temple to pass away there. Very important aspect of life. They were very happy. happy. So I had many uncles. And the other is serving others, giving back, uh, allowing to support that wisdom that it goes on to the next generation. That's essential. Also in our diet, we can become very aware because it becomes more delicate and unpredictable. And as we go through our life, through the practice of Buddhism, we will naturally become aware of what needs to be done. Also through the Buddha's teaching learning and practicing. We will naturally uh, do what is necessary. We will naturally, instinctively understand. That's the practice and power of Buddhism. So don't get hung up or caught up that you know what is right, what is the practice and study of Buddhism. If you believe that, you're already stuck. Because Buddhist, Buddhism is a flu fluid, lifelong teaching that in every aspect Every individual, or how do you say, amazingly uh, special aspect of our life, every moment, which is different from the next moment, different from tomorrow, we can be able to have an experience of life. That's why Buddhism is life-affirming. When I came to that temple, to Skumoto Sensei, I looked like I had was dying or already dead, and maybe manifested back as a ghost so he even asked me are you a ghost and he said no Buddhism is not about death Buddhism is about life and in that life the Buddha was a human being and in that human nature was as we see in the ten realms the Buddha mind the Buddha nature so therefore we don't shouldn't despise or neglect or cast aside or disparage the body the mind spirit but we should come into natural equilibrium with it so i hope you are able to understand what i'm talking about this uh, in this podcast and if you have any questions please come and practice and study
and you can easily understand this. You may think, oh, this is too complicated, another system to learn. No. This is through your observation. If you can observe life correctly, you can understand this, the five elements. That's why we communicate through the concept of the five elements. This is basic Buddhist culture. Hi, thank you very much for joining me. Namu myoho renge kyo. Please take care of yourselves and of others.